Um, my name is Sherry Obosu, and this is Grace Obosu. My name is Richard Obosu, and this is Hezekiah Kobina Obosu. Uh, we've been attending First Christian since May of 2019. Um, when we first started coming here, uh, we were pregnant with Hezekiah. Um, and in September um, of that year, we went into premature labor. Um, and Hezekiah came, he was 23 weeks and a pound and two ounces. Um, so it was just kind of a huge moment in our lives. Um, and to add to it, um, Richard was going through the immigration process and he didn't have a job. He had just gotten approval to work and get his license. Um, so he's looking for work while Hezekiah's in the hospital. Um, and then in the middle of all that, uh, we got a letter saying he was denied. So then we had to get a lawyer and had 30 days to prove that he could stay in the country. So it was a huge, um, huge circumstance. <laughs> I would say our faith grew from this experience based on like how when things were getting tougher and I was struggling, I was questioning God, but then I, something kept telling me to go read the Bible and I kept listening to songs that were encouraging me and reading the Bible, it taught me like God uses a circumstance like this to show his glory, show his power. So he will never give us something we cannot I don't know the actual word, like we cannot chew or we can, he, he knows how, how, he knows our limits, I should say, and he will never give us anything that will go beyond our limits. And if he, what he taught us is if God did everything right there and there, then how are we going to testify for other people who are struggling to know that there is a God who can do anything if you trust in him? So that's what he taught us. Good morning. Good morning. That was kind of wimpy. Let's try that. Good morning. Good morning. So glad that you have joined us in worship today, both here in the West Auditorium, if you're joining us in the East Auditorium or online. Uh, my name is Rick Grace. I'm part of the pastoral team, and specifically, my responsibilities are as the Disciple Heritage Fellowship Church Liaison, which allows me to be in connection with about on, on behalf of First Christian of Decatur, about 130 churches across the country and almost 150 pastors. As a matter of fact, for the team that is going to uh, Poland this week, we have two DHF churches, one here in Illinois and one in Virginia that will also be represented as part of that ministry team. That's pretty exciting to me. But one of the other things that's really exciting is that as far as the, the pastoral teaching team here at Decatur First, I have a new title. Yay! Staff Grandpa. <laughs> and, and, and it's not because Nancy and I aren't blessed to have six grandchildren. It's because after Pastor Wayne retired, I became the token old guy. And you know, that's, that's okay. You know, you may not have noticed but the average age of our pastoral staff kind of dropped after Pastor Wayne left. So I artificially keep it inflated. You know what that is? Job security. <laughs> yeah. 
Nancy and I moved here a few years ago from northwest Arkansas. And within about 10 to 15 minutes of where we lived, we had the world headquarters of two very large corporations. You might have heard of one called Walmart, and the other one was Tyson Food. We had an incredible amount of wealth in northwest Arkansas, but it was also an area that was riddled by what is now being called food insecurity. So we hosted an event at our church that was called Feed the Funnel. And we worked with a local nonprofit. We had tables stretched out all over the place. And we were like an assembly line. Everybody had a scoop and, and a bag of something. And we would scoop into it, walk around like we were marching around Jericho, and dump our, our, our ingredient into a funnel. And it would make a, a nutritious and semi-tasty meal. And our goal that night was within one hour to make 2,500 meals. And it was really cool. What I didn't know was that after we hit the benchmark of 500, a student was handed this mallet and he went up to this big gong. Kind of like that. But I was standing right in front next, actually the gong was behind me and I didn't see it. And the first time that kid, I mean, he didn't do it. It was like he was batting clean up for the Cardinals or the Cubs. White Sox. You guys don't do baseball? Is that it? Anyway. So he hit this gong. I about jumped out of my skin. But every time we crossed the 500 mile marker, if you would, they would hit the gong again. Well, we are in the middle of a sermon series here that we are calling Fuel, Five Factors That Fill Your Faith. I have been practicing that all week. We've gone through several mile markers already, if you would. Pastor Brian started us off and reminded us of the power of practical teaching, of how daily we need to be in the Word so that when we come together corporately on Sunday, we sit under the ministry of the Word. That's mile marker number one. <laughs> Just check and see if it still works. Pastor Jonathan took us then to the idea of, of personal ministry. How it's time to get off to the bench and into the game, how we need to step out, step in, and trust God. Mile marker number two. And then last week, Pastor Thomas brought us to the third factor that fills our faith, private disciplines. How we need to be, have our own quiet time, praying daily, and to be in the Word together. To exercise biblical stewardship in our giving. And that our worship every day is what leads to our corporate worship on Sunday. I think I could just do that the rest of the morning. <laughs> but that brings us to the fourth factor that fills our faith. And we're going to define these as pivotal circumstances. These are making sense of the, of the situations in our life. Let's define that before we go any farther. Pivotal circumstances are those things that come into our lives that disrupt us, that can be a catalyst for growth, 
But by the time we look back on it, it was a defining moment that helped shape that part of our journey. And they become very much a part of our own story. As Lacey said this morning, we have a shared story in Christ, but every one of us has a backstory that we are currently living out. It is made up of big things and small things and positive and negative, but they all make the story. And the Bible is full of stories, many that are quite positive. One of my favorite stories, it's told in Acts 9, there's a story of the Ethiopian uh, official who was sitting in a chariot by the side of the road, minding his own business, reading from the scroll of the prophet Isaiah. And all of a sudden, Philip notices this, and he takes off running. I cannot imagine what it would have been like to have been minding my own business, and all of a sudden, somebody jump into my chariot and say, hey, do you understand what you're reading? No, get out of my space. He invites him to tell him about Jesus, and he leads to his, his conversion and baptism. Great, powerful, positive moment. What about Jonah? You know that prophet where God said, I want you to go in one direction, and he did a 180 and went in the other direction? And running from God, he boards a ship, he's sailing away in the middle of the Mediterranean, horrible storm comes up, and the crew of the ship, all being somewhat pagan, okay, meaning they had a diversity of gods, decided the best thing they could do on a wooden ship is start a fire so they can offer sacrifices. On a wooden boat. I mean, on what planet does that make sense? It can be the big events in life. Oh, September 27th of 1973, I met the most lovely brunette I have ever met in my life. Oh, come on. Throwback pictures. Are you supposed to like these? 20 months later, on July 12th of 1975, that lovely woman said, I do to me, and neither one of us have changed. (laughs) Gosh, I didn't realize it was that bad. (laughs) Turn off the camera. Or it can be small events, kind of like an afternoon in October when I'm playing golf in Kentucky with Pastor Greg. Does anybody, would you like to guess what I'm pointing at? A hole. A hole in one, yes, that was my first ever hole in one. And I'm glad I had a witness because you believe two pastors telling a golf story, right? (laughs) Why is that funny? But you know what? It's not just the events that happen to us. It's how we interpret those events, how we understand those events. I want to introduce you to another couple. Their last name, their first names are Grace and Smith, actually. Grace, the wife, was one of the most godly women I have ever met in my life. She loved Jesus with every fiber of her being. Every day, that every time the church door was open, Grace was there. Grace had one of the worst cases of rheumatoid arthritis I have ever seen in my life. If you looked at her hands, every one of the fingers was laid back over the other finger, and they laid back over her hands so that when she ate, she had to squeeze the fork in here. When she was still ambulatory, she did not walk on her feet. 
Her ankles had rolled out so much that when she hobbled along, she actually walked on her ankles and not her feet. That woman would volunteer at VBS. She hosted Bible studies. We had two of our deacons who every Sunday morning would walk over, pick her up, wheelchair and all, because she did not want to miss being in the presence of God's people when they gathered to worship. She was the one everyone wanted to be like. Her husband, on the other hand, Smith, became one of the angriest and most bitter men I have ever met in my life. He didn't have the health difficulties his wife did, but he responded to that situation by putting all that anger on God. He was so angry at God that anytime I entered his front door, he left the house. He would not even stay in the same room with me. The only time he wanted anything to do with me was when he thought he was dying. If he was hospitalized, I could guarantee you I would get a call. And after the fourth or fifth time I had heard his confession, I could give it as good as he did. But never did I evidence a single iota of transformation of his heart. Two people, one couple, responding to different circumstances. One was driven into the arms of Jesus. One was driven away by the way that they chose to respond. Pivotal circumstances can be the fourth factor that fill our faith. But right here at the beginning, I want to note this. Of all of the things that fill our faith, these are the ones that we don't choose. We can and do, however, choose our response to them. And that res response will determine whether or not it fills our faith or drains our faith. Father, May the words of my mouth, the meditations of my heart, be acceptable in your, in your sight. Lord, you are our strength and our redeemer. Father, out of my many words this morning, I pray, I pray people hear your word. That word, Father, that you would speak like an arrow into their hearts that would help them make sense of the pivotal circumstances they have, are, or will walk through. God, we just want to give you praise and glory today. And we do so together in the name of Jesus and all God's people said, amen. amen. There's a few things I want us to consider as we talk about the role of pivotal circumstances in our lives. Here's the first one. Pivotal circumstances will confirm what we believe, especially what we believe to be true about God. You know as well as I do, when the stressors in your life rise, your natural defenses decrease, and what has been held under the surface then bubbles to the top. And what does bubble to the top is what we actually believe about God. If you got your Bibles and want to turn with me, turn to the book of James, chapter 1. We're going to read verses 2 and 3. James, the half-brother of Jesus, says this, verse 2. Consider it a pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know the testing of your faith produces perseverance. Now, let's be honest. Does that not sound crazy? Consider it a pure joy when you counter trials, when you encounter trials of various kinds. 
Is that what James is saying? Go on to verse 3. Because you know that the testing of your faith produces patience. The joy that we find is not in the testing of the moment, but in the result that comes from the testing of that moment. I believe this to be true with all of my heart. We, really, we don't know if we really believe what we say we believe until it has been tested. And once it's been tested, it confirms what we really believe. Let me introduce you to a friend of mine. He was my fishing buddy. Also happened to be my chiropractor. So we nicknamed him Doc, okay? So whenever I told him, I called his office, hey, go tell Doc my shoulder's tight. That meant we needed to go fishing. <laughs> Took his office administrator years to figure that one out. It was really great. Adrian called me. You gotta come to the hospital, Pastor. His daughter had just been involved in an ATV accident. She was trying to keep up with her older cousins who were much more uh, adept at the ATVs. Full throttle, she went down a ditch, popped up, bounced, got thrown off of the ATV and into a tree, and the tree hit her about right here. And it hit her with such force that the nerve that controls her right arm was literally pulled out of her spinal cord. So I'm at the hospital with Adrian and his wife. Doc looks at me and says, Pastor, I will know God is good if he heals my daughter. Now, I understand that's a, it's spoken out of the distress of the moment, and that was not the time to correct his theology. But what did come to the surface was what he believed about God, that God's love was conditional, that God had to prove his goodness over and over and over again. I am convinced of this. Testing does not shape our faith. It reveals our faith. It doesn't shape it. It reveals what is there. The early church leaders endured terrible suffering. Their lives were disrupted in major ways. And even the Bible records the awe of the early church, of the, of the opposition, looking at the early church leaders. And they say this in Acts 4.13, that they simply took note that these people had been with Jesus. It was the presence of Jesus that allowed them to endure the suffering that they were going through. Dr. Timothy Keller, pastor, author, theologian, and right now a stage four pancreatic victim who's now in hospice care, says this, suffering is unbearable if you aren't certain that God is for you and with you. See, we as Christ followers are convinced that he is Emmanuel, the God who was chosen to be with us. And we believe that God is faithful. The pivotal circumstances we walk through confirm what we really believe. And when we reflect on that, to hold on to the truth, to allow this to be a factor that fills our faith. Number two. Pivotal circumstances help us to choose the people that we listen to. There is never a shortage of voices out there clamoring for your attention. Amen? All over the place. Our role is to sort out the voices. Young disciple named Timothy, young mentee of the Apostle Paul, 
traveled with Paul extensively, was trusted by Paul impeccably. So Paul gave him an incredible, incredible task. Timothy, I want you to stay in Ephesus and put the church in order. <laughs> Ephesus was the Las Vegas of its day. Now, y'all know what happens in Vegas does what? Stays in Vegas. What happened in Ephesus stays in Ephesus, all right? Competing ideas, godless voices, chatter from the left, chatter from the right, and all of it met in massive kinds of arguments, and it sounds an awful lot like Facebook. That was a joke, okay? Just see if anybody's still listening. Ephesus was a highly sensualized culture. Timothy was being challenged by voices inside the church that said he's too young. He's being challenged by voices outside of the church that this new teaching he's bringing in is out of step with the culture. And in the midst of that, Paul writes a letter of encouragement to Timothy. 2 Timothy, if you would, chapter 3 and verse 14. Paul writes this. But as for you, Timothy, as for you, continue in what you have learned and become convinced of because you know those from whom you learned it. Timothy, you know the voices that should shape you. And when you walk through the difficulties, lean into the voices that you can trust and you can trust them because it's been born out of the depth of a relationship and a shared experience. Timothy, lean and listen. It will help you to hold fast. Nancy and I moved to Decatur in August of 2019. And by December of 2019, Nancy's cancer had returned. And our lives underwent a major, major disruption, along with a high degree of uncertainty. Surgery was scheduled on January 10th of, 19, er, of 2020. And as I was sitting in the waiting room at DMH, somebody came to sit next to me. I only met him in October. I'd only known this man for three months. Pat Hagemeyer sat down and said to me, Rick, I am not going to leave you alone. I will be with you all day. As we were in the bowels of DMH, waiting in the surgical waiting room, Wayne and Leslie came by to pray over us. Brian and Jessica came by to be with us. Robert Henderson, Tim Revis, all came. And they introduced me to a man who's become a dear, dear friend, Dr. George Liu. And George simply asked, oh, your wife's having surgery? And I said, yes, and explained it. And then George, bless his heart, started to explain in detail what they were going to do to my wife's throat. And Brian, my eyes must have got big as saucers. I didn't know it, but Jess is standing behind me going, no, no, no. (laughs) 
every one of the people that I just named earned the right that day to speak into my life. They became the people I choose to listen to. And since then, our small group, those six couples, five couples plus Nancy and me, have become incredibly important to me, to Nancy and I, and to our spiritual journey. My brothers and sisters, what you are walking through can be a pivotal circumstance if you choose the trusted voices who can speak into your lives, who reinforce the teachings of Christ to you, and it can become a factor that fills your faith. Pivotal circumstances also help us clarify the questions that we need to ask. The questions we ask frame how we look at and try to chart our way through the events. But we don't always ask the right question to begin with. This is kind of a humorous story, so go with me to, to John chapter 9. It's one of my favorite stories in the gospel. We're going to start at verse 2. John chapter 9, verse 2. Teacher, uh, back up, his disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he should be born blind? Now think of that. Think of the question. Who sinned? Did this guy sin? Did his parents sin? Or did somehow he sin that he should be born blind? How do you sin in the womb? <laughs> Is that not what they're asking? And you know what? The teachers of Jesus' day went to great lengths to explain how you could sin before you were born. If you're interested, talk to me later and I'll give it to you. But I want to tell you, it doesn't make a whole lot of sense. I'm much more worried about what I've done since I've been born. But they had it all figured out. So Jesus has to say, wait a minute, that's the wrong question. Look at verse 3. Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the work of God might be displayed in his life. See, Jesus says you're asking the wrong question. It's not about sin. It's not about whether or not this guy or that God has some type of retributive justice. The question is, how can God work in the middle of that circumstance as a canvas to reveal his own glory. See, we need to learn to ask the right question. My mentor, Dr. Gary Oliver, I still meet with, I've been meeting with him almost monthly for eight years. And now we have to do it by Zoom since he still lives in Northwest Arkansas. Gary's a nine-time cancer survivor. He has the same cancer as my wife. His wife, Carrie, developed pancreatic cancer. And they chose to frame the question. This is the question that they asked each other every day for the durations of their illness. And I want to give it to you. If it never gets any better than this, is God still good? Gary shared with me, the last time Carrie asked that question, It so was when he picked her up out of her bed, out of their bed, carried her to the living room where the hospice bed, the hospital bed was set up. And before he laid her down, she looked at him and said, Gary, 
if it never gets any better than this, is God still good? And Gary answered yes. And he laid his wife on the bed. She turned her head and slipped into the arms of Jesus. They saw God's goodness because they trained themselves with the right question. Dr. Timothy Keller, who I mentioned earlier, says this. If God is treated as God during suffering, then suffering can reveal and present him in all of his greatness. You see, if I treat God as God in the middle of the circumstance, it is a factor that fills my faith. I've stopped asking, why me? I've stopped asking, what did I do to deserve this? I stopped asking, God, I thought you loved me. And what I try to ask now is, God, what would you have me to learn in the midst of this? Pivotal circumstances can be disruptive or they can be a catalyst for growth, but they will be defining. I don't know where you are this morning. You may have a difficult diagnosis. You may be in a tough season of life. You may be tested beyond what you think you can bear, but how you choose to respond will either drive you into or away from the Lord your God. You may have lost a spouse, as many of you have. You may have a prodigal child, as Nancy and I had. Maybe you didn't get the job you wanted, or your coworker, that arrogant coworker that you don't like, got the promotion you thought you deserved. Maybe your friends at school moved on and left you behind. You have an enemy of your soul that wants to push you to isolation. Oh, my brothers and sisters, that is the time to run toward your small group, toward those whose voices you've learned to trust. Lean into them, those that speak words of life and truth to you. Those relationships are vital. John chapter 16, verse 33. Jesus simply says this. I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have trouble. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. Let me remind you of something I said in the beginning. Of all the things that fill our faith, these are the things that we don't choose. No circumstance is too small or too large to be pivotal, for we still have to choose how we will respond. And in that response, we will confirm what we believe, we will choose who we will listen to, and we will clarify the questions that we need to ask. But please hear this, Jesus has overcome. You can trust in the goodness of God because he is faithful. Father, Lord, we come to you, not because we've got it all together, but because we don't. We come because you are trustworthy. Because even right at this moment, Father, you may be painting in our lives on the canvas of our circumstances a demonstration of your glory.
We can't choose the circumstance, but we can choose our response. Empower us, sweet Holy Spirit, to choose that which glorifies you and drives us into the arms of the one who went to the cross in our behalf. God, we love you, and we lay ourselves before you. In Jesus' name, amen.